welcome to Dr. C in the D. I am Dr. Carol Kowalczyk, and I am very excited today to talk to a very wonderful, amazing person, as well as a really good friend of mine, Claire Keelan Hogan. She is our counselor extraordinaire uh, when patients are going through their fertility journey. Uh, so, you know, Claire, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Dr. Kay. And, you know, I, I tell patients when, or people who are listening, that when we do our best to make family dreams come true, there are several pieces to the puzzle that we have to figure out, right? So in previous podcasts, we talked about when to see a fertility specialist, how to keep yourself healthy to have that baby, uh, what kind of workup you'd expect if you came to see someone like me. Uh, in future podcasts in, in April, we're going to talk about the IVF and non-IVF fertility treatments, but a very important piece of the treatment plan is taking care of the body, taking care of the natural you. And so we'll talk about, or we have talked about nutrition and, and watching your weight and smoking and things like that. But a huge piece is stress. And, and one of the things that we look at and assess is where the uh, couple is with regard to their stress. And there's a lot of stress. Mm. There's financial stress. There's uh, emotional stress. There's work stress. There's couple stress. So, you know, the really cool thing about you being on board, Claire, is that, you know, we can address that stress. So can you talk a little bit about, in general, what mm -hmm. couples uh, have felt or when they see you when, when they have stress in getting pregnant? Absolutely. I always say, you know, there, while there are some that know that they might need assistance building their family, the large majority of people are coming up to this platform very unexpectedly. And so what we're seeing is a really profound and active grieving cycle. And just like you said, it affects our finances, our, our sexuality, our, sometimes there's a crisis of faith, you know, why me, why not me? It certainly affects how people are able to relate to their social sphere, their friends who are getting pregnant with ease, uh, their marriages that are feeling just the fragility of uh, how this impacts their relationships. So when I um, intercepting our, our patients and our women and our men, it's typically presenting with anxiety, sadness. Sometimes we're seeing hopelessness. Um, uh, sometimes I'll hear the word emptiness. Um, and so what, again, we're seeing that kind of tailored into a grieving process. And part of what my job is, is to help normalize that for people that that's actually a really realistic uh, process and feeling to have when you're going through something difficult and unexpected like this. We, we see that in other areas of our life, but we tend to not give ourselves the grace to really experience that and feel that and seek the support that they deserve during this time. And that's so important because we, we can't measure stress, right? There's no blood right. test. There's no, there's no, any kind of technology that can imagine or, or measure stress. I mean, and, and, you know, I could say my, my building is on fire, right. And, and yes. the person getting everyone out of the building at the stress level of a hundred and the person freaking out comparatively has a stress level of four and you can't measure it. And there's that's spectrums right. of stress, right? So, Correct. so, you know, people get pregnant in war in in poverty in pandemics, right? Yes, COVID. That's, that's right. Yeah. But also we do know there's several um, psychologists and therapists that have looked at this. And if you get 
help with managing your stress, mm -hmm. um, there can be a 30 to 50% improvement in pregnancy rates. Do we know Correct. why? No, maybe there's cortisol. Maybe there's, you know, other hormones that we can't measure uh, that is making a difference. So, mm -hmm. so getting some type of help or strategies to manage the stress uh, is going to be very, very, very important. Absolutely. I, and you're right. We can't measure it. You know, you'll hear words like alpha amylase and cortisol, but the totality of how it, it's impacting all of this is, is really un, unknown. And so our best hope is that we can manage, manage these iceberg symptoms, you know, what's coming up above the water that are making it feel difficult. Our hope is that we can keep people in treatment so we can get them to their family. And the more tolerance and hope we can instill, the better chance we have of getting that baby into your arms because the, the all-consuming nature of the emotional toll doesn't take you under. And that's an interesting uh, point that you make as well, because there is a lot of hope here. Um, you know, 15% of couples experience infertility, less than 10% seek, seek advice, seek treatment. And, you know, over 90% of the time we can find the reason why you're not getting pregnant. And we over 90% of the time we have treatment options that if your heart is open to all these treatment options, you can build your family in one way or the other. So right. let's, let's talk a little bit about men versus women. Mm -hmm. I find that, you know, women take this burden on them that when that's a problem with getting pregnant, they women right from the get go are nurturers and they think there's gotta be something with me um, they're, they're reaching out to their doctor, they're on Dr. Google, they are, you know, talking to their friends, they're trying to get as much data as possible. And when it comes to treatment options, they're the ones that are going to the ultrasounds and taking the medications and all of that stuff. And women, I find, um, Claire, tend to be more talkers, they want to talk it out. Our men, you know, some of my female patients will say, well, he doesn't understand me and, and he won't talk about it or he'll go in his man cave or when I'm going mm -hmm. through all of this and I'm tearful, he doesn't seem to care. And I don't believe that's true. I think that men process the fertility stress differently than women. Are you seeing that? And, and if so, you know, what are some of the reasons you think, and how mm -hmm. do we get these couples to know that they both care about the same goal. They're just going about it a little differently for their own mental health. Absolutely. And you're absolutely correct that gender wise, we do tend to see trends in terms of how people cope. Uh, women are far more relational, even when they're not even when they wouldn't label themselves relational, typically women have more people around them who they're opening up to, talking to, connecting with. Husbands are, are tend, they tend to process things a little different. What I see um, with anxiety, my women tend to be emotional. So high emotions, high tearfulness. Uh, with my men, their anxiety is still just as prominent, just as, as valid, but it's presenting often either as apathy or irritability. And so sometimes we'll see them slide into those pockets where to their partner, they're coming off short, withdrawn, quiet. Um, they, they might pour their energy into something else like work or a hobby versus 
kind of sit in, in the hole with their partner with those heavy emotions. And again, it kind of goes back to just societal expectations. Sometimes we're still working through those stigmas of men not having feelings, not showing feelings that if you're if you are emotive that you're not coping well, when that's quite the opposite. When we see healthy flowing of emotion and communication when we're hurting or grieving or upset, we know that that just displays incredible emotional intelligence and connection. And the chances that your marriage is gonna navigate this in a, in a much more steady way. So helping men identify that what they're feeling is blank, that emotional identification, and also giving them that outlet. And sometimes it's not their partner. It's hard to watch someone you love hurt. And it's easy to try to minimize the experience in an effort to make it go away. So sometimes when men are talking to a counselor, a friend, you know, somebody that they feel safe with, they're able to, to kind of move through this journey versus uh, venting or completely opening up to their partner because they might feel that it would add to the hurt. And they're processing just as many identity issues as women feel, that idea of why can't I do this? I wanted to give my partner this, we dreamed of this family. And men have the, that, that same experience and those same emotions. So if I were a husband and wife or a boyfriend, girlfriend, or partner, partner, mm -hmm. you know, and I see that in my partner, the, the tears and the uh, emotion in, in the anxiety in women and the irritability and apathy in men, um, how does the, the partner kind of open up or accept mm -hmm. that he is not going to talk about it or he's ultra irritable or how does he help with her tearfulness? I mean, how do they yeah. accept each other's management of stress to make it the relationship better during that journey? Yes. So one of the things I, I try to instill in our couples, especially when we're, when I'm working with our female count to help their counterpart open up is to simplify the process. So sometimes we see that shutdown if they know, oh, I've got a she, she wants to talk about it and it's going to be heavy. And this could be a long, you know, emotive moment. That's when we see the withdrawal. So instead I try to simplify it. Even this sounds silly, but it's so effective, like a number system. So how do you feel today? Uh, today I'm at a five or, or how do you feel today? I'm at a two. And it lets their partner know I'm really hurting. I really need you just to stay close or hold me. Um, it opens up kind of a segue, but let's say they're at a nine. It's a good day. They might say, let's go get some brunch and really kind of nurture the parts of the relationship that aren't uh, touched and, and infiltrated by the fertility journey. So simplifying the check-ins is helpful, um, but also teaching just, it doesn't take a lot to connect and let your partner know you're there. A, a simple prolonged hug. We know we have, we have studies that show it conveys incredible connection um, and support reminding just, you don't have to fix this. So saying things like, I know this hurts, I'm with you and we're not stopping until this is done uh, is very effective at con conveying to your partner, I hear you, I see you, I love you without having to fix what's causing the tears in that moment. That's great advice. And, and, and just having the, the ability to say, you don't have to fix it, we're in this journey together and the prolonged hug, you know, that, that's important because 
a lot of people do quick little hugs, right? And yeah. that's almost like saying, hey, how you doing? I'm okay, how you yeah. doing? Where no one really cares how you're doing. They're just saying right. how you're doing, right? <laughs> um, but the prolonged hug is where, you know, you, you sit there and there is that this, whatever connection is made that you're there, you're, you're holding each other for longer than a few seconds. And that, that emotion kind of goes through. Now, what about sex? Yes. Um, you know, sex is very stressful during this time. I remember when I was trying to get pregnant with my husband and we were on Clomid and I was ovulating and I was like, dude, where are you? I mean, I'm looking at my stopwatch. I'm sure. like, you should be here. You should, you should be having sex like right now. And yes. he looked at me and he goes, well, that's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sorry. I got a little bit uh, intense there. So how do we have a loving sexual relationship when it seems like it's always on a time clock? Yes, for sure. It's hard to get out of the gamut of cycle day ones and cycle day tens and, and all the rest when you're, when you're in this. And so finding ways to, there's so many different ways to feel connected. It doesn't always need sexual intimacy. So nurturing those other buckets, right? So quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, touch, um, and I'm missing one, access service. Uh, there's lots of different buckets to make your partner feel connected, but also just removing the pressure of, of parts of sex that used to be spontaneous and fun and now are kind of feeling the weight of fertility. Um, touch, touch and cuddling and just different ways to stay close through physical affection doesn't always need to be in a bedroom with an orgasm. And so finding ways just to, you know, cuddle up together, hold each other, there's still ways that we can kind of fill that that touch bucket. And then the other thing is just to make an intention. A lot of our couples, we need to add some elements of creativity to, to make sex feel different during uh, the fertility journey. And that's okay. It just takes a little bit of intention and communication to reignite the fun and playfulness of it and take it out of the timeline and mechanism of, of timing, um, you know, during fertility efforts. And a couple of creative things some of my patients have done is that, you know, when, when it was time that she was ovulating, he would come home and there'd be a special candle lit. Yes. Yes. A little sign with a little bottle, uh, you know, bottle of wine and a candle was lit and it was the time that she was ovulating. And another one actually uh, would put a little card around ovulation and it would be uh, one of the rooms in the house. So oh, yes. Sex would be in the kitchen that night. And then another time sex was in the bathroom and another one was on, you know, so it kind of, it was creative kind of like a game. Yes. It's, you know, it's like, Hey, let's do it in a different place. So, yes. Yeah. So another thing is that patients will a lot of say, you know, I'm really stressed at work. And uh, I really don't know how that's impacting. So, you know, I mm -hmm. say to them, you know, you can't quit your job. Uh, right. You know, many patients can't. And, and so, you know, in the workplace, you know, you've got a lot of stresses with deadlines and bosses and, 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 you know, office drama. So I'll tell them, you know, you can't control the stress at work, but maybe there's a little piece you can carve in your workspace that could help with some of that stress. But I'll say, you know, you have a little more control in your home that, you know, if you have a really stressful day and you can't control that environment, maybe make home a, a safe haven. Mm -hmm. Is that good advice? Yes, absolutely. It's finding ways to compartmentalize 
and, and make it tolerant. So if work is really stressful, but you know that when I get home this week, I'm saying no to commitments. I'm going to make sure that the things I, I do have control over are self-nurturing and really realistic for the stress tolerance I have during this week. It allows you to function through those stressful environments or times or deadlines, like you said, with a little more ease because you know the other spaces that you can control are, mo are modified to support you. And tell us what you do uh, mm -hmm. for our patients. When I send them to you, I know you've got certain uh, things that you advise. So yes, you share those. Yeah. For sure, for sure. So I kind of break it down into six six areas of self-care. And, and our, again, our goal is just to make the wave tolerable so it doesn't feel like a tidal wave. We're able to ride it and stay in our treatment and stay uh, re resigned and, and resolved to, to staying in this until the end. And so a lot of that is just A, finding your village. Um, I think I said this before, but sometimes it's our closest people that we would think we could just really open up to and they would understand, but it's so uncomfortable for them to see their personal pain of their loved one that they really can't. We hear those well-intended comments like, oh, just relax. Uh, when you stop trying, you'll get pregnant. Those are usually coming from our, our closest loved ones because of that discomfort. So making sure that you find a counselor experienced with infertility, there's incredible support in loss groups out there. We offer one at our center. Um, Elizabeth was just discussing Detroit Moms. Uh, support group. So making sure you're finding people who not only understand your experience, but are, are able and tolerant to stay in it with you because they know it, they know the difficulties you're feeling. So finding your village. Um, and then the next is our self-care and anxiety reduction. And so uh, we offer incredible body work opportunities at the fertility center, like acupuncture, massage, diaphragmic breath work, progressive muscle relaxation, meditation, yoga. These things seem overly simple. They are incredibly profound in the mind-body experience to helping you move through distressing events, news, uh, discomforts, procedures. Um, and so really helping our patients learn how to do body work to help that relaxation response and come out of that fight or flight pattern. Another one I always talk about is boundaries. Um, the idea that it's okay during this time to function differently in life than you used to. If you used to be the friend who went to all the baby showers and all the birthday parties and all the baptisms, it's okay to say no. It's okay to have the duality of, I love you. I'm glad that this is happening for you. And at the same time, I feel sad. I feel envy. I might feel anger. Uh, the duality of those strong emotions. A lot of people feel like I'm a bad person because I can't feel joy for other people and that just normalizing and helping them understand duality, how to talk with your friends and family about your experience. And that kind of goes into those boundaries. Um, education. So a large part of what you do such a beautiful job with Dr. K is helping people understand that there's just not one lane to, to a pregnancy, that people build their families through many, many different lanes. Um, I experienced that myself in my own journey. The lane I thought was not the lane that was going to get me to my babies. And I had to move fluidly until I was able to get there. And so having that psychoeducational piece of, of the different ways and treatments and medications and procedures is a big part of how we help our patients. Um, and then certainly cognitive restructuring. And that's a big psych word, 
but what it means is taking these thoughts that feel really scary and burden burdensome and reframing them and making viewing things a different way. Sometimes the absolute worst case scenario that one of our patients is feeling is actually not that bad when we can get them to, you know, we help them acclimate and, and reconcile and move through the process by changing the way they view this journey. And that a lot of times really reduces their anxiety. Those are some amazing tools. And, and I think that you've covered all bases, you know what I mean? And, and in a safe way, and also in a very normalizing way. And, and yeah, and you know, you had talked about your journey, you know, mine was one of recurrent miscarriage. And so I think when we've gone through our journeys, Claire, it's a blessing in a way it really is because we all, you know, we personally have gone through our own direction where we thought it'd be this and it turned out to be that and it ended up being okay and that's and, right you know and it ended up being how it was meant to be so I think that that's really helpful that we were blessed with our own journeys to be able to feel it not only as a professional but as a fellow woman and a fellow couple and a fellow person that right. that really makes it hit home for us knowing that we know how you feel. And, and I think that that is, again, just such a blessing. We do offer uh, counseling. So, uh, and I think the Zoom with COVID really turned out to be an amazing tool for many people. Is there a way to share, you know, how people can get in touch with our support group? Absolutely. So they, we regularly post on our social media sites when our support group is, and it will give you my contact information. You can always call our fertility center. And then I personally reach out to you and I give you the zoom link and make sure you have everything you need to log on. Um, And so it really has been a blessing in disguise. I think a lot of people, we talked about work schedules and, you know, travel times and commute. Sometimes the things that used to be obstacles to getting support are a lot easier when you're in the comfort of your own home. And I love it. Some of our ladies have their glass of wine and they're in their pajamas and they're just able to get their support. So, um, Yes, but you can reach out to Michigan Center for Fertility and they will be able to connect you with me in terms of how to get the information you need for our support group. And, and when is it? It's the, it's in the evening, right? Yeah, it's the third Wednesday of every month at 6 p.m. So it lasts about an hour and never goes over an hour. Um, and it's at 6 p.m. on the third Wednesday. And that's wonderful because you can have your glass of wine and your cheese with your partner. That's right. They can be there. And there's also a fabulous support group system at Detroit Mom, too. So if you go on Detroit Mom, uh, there are a multitude of resources there. And there are women who've experienced all type of fertility journeys and and they're there for you, too. So uh, very proud of Detroit Mom in in getting that information out and uh, very, very happy that that I'm part of them as, as well as being with you, my dear Claire. So thank you you for being on. And I think you are the best. I I just love you dearly. And uh, I thank you again for listening to uh, this podcast. This is Dr. Carol Kowalczyk from Dr. C and the D and uh, we'll be having some more great information and uh, more podcasts to come.